Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, Season 2. Glad to be here. How about you? Good to be here, man. I know. It's a, it's a good time. It's nice to be together and uh, discuss some stuff. I mean, it's a nice break from the from the rest of the week. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Especially because, uh, you know, we don't minister together like you do with some of the other guys, like when we have Ben on. Yeah. So it's always nice to get caught up and uh, talk about the issues of the day. Yeah. Which is kind of what we're going to be doing today. Uh, eventually, once we get through some intro stuff here. But uh, welcome back. This is Dominion Podcast. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm Alex. Alex, the man of the cloister. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to be here. We just want to uh, say before we start, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, hit like, subscribe. Why not? You know, leave a comment, maybe a thumbs up. Do they even have a thumbs down anymore? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I've ever thumbs down on anything. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be pretty bad for, for you to do that. Yeah, it's just, I guess registering dissent is important, but <laughs> never thought to do that myself. I just leave. I'm yeah. just like, oh, that's stupid. I'm out. If you don't use YouTube, if you only use other platforms, we're on Rumble. We post all of our content on both as well, we've got our Substack page, dominionpress.substack.com. Please go there. We're releasing material every week from Ben yep. and Alex uh, and also uh, some other stuff that's going to be going up there on a regular basis. Subscribe to that. You'll get uh, updates from us mm-hmm. whenever stuff gets published. Yeah. So, We're on Twitter as well, Press Twitter, Dominion. Press at Press Dominion. Yeah. Not that we really do much there, do we? Twitter's Twitter's a bit of a dumpster fire, which is yeah. We're going to talk about that today. The dumpster fire, the dumpster fire. But it is immediate information. It is, yeah. You can get valuable information there if you just can wade through the cesspool. The, the cesspool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. So, I guess uh, it'd be nice uh, to hear a bit of the feedback that we maybe got from the last episode. Yeah. That was a little different from what we normally do being that we were sort of addressing someone else's content Mm -hmm. and calling some people out on some stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you didn't read the article that went along with that, go to the Substack and check that out where you can sort of read the, um, the content we Mm -hmm. were releasing, but in a a little more of a organized fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was a little different for us. So what kind of response have we gotten so far? Well, we we've gotten a big response. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't surprising to me. I mean, more than, you know, over 6,000 people read the letter in the first 6 days kind of thing. Yeah. And um I think if we divide the response between my colleagues, pastors, and if we think about theirs, uh the feedback I got was you know, overwhelmingly positive, grateful. Hmm. And um, I think guys were thankful that we addressed this so they didn't have to. I yeah. mean, it gets, it gets tiring wading through uh, the mire of deceit. And yeah, and there's, there's also an issue. It's like, um, 
I don't know if you ever experienced this growing up. You know, your parents tell you the same thing over and over again, and you just start tuning them out. Yeah. And yeah. then a total stranger or family friend tells you the same thing, good advice, and you're like, hey, that's really good advice. Yeah. And your parents like, I've been telling you that. Yeah. And so it's almost like you just need to hear it from someone else. Yeah. And, you know, these other guys have been standing strong and, mm-hmm. and have been uh, have been out front, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice for them not to have to do all the dirty work, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, so, guys, by the way. Yeah, thanks for doing that. We're, gonna, we're, we're taking up the rear guard at this point, right? The vanguard. The vanguard. Yeah. Guard in the van. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was it was uh, affirming that we, we I think we thread a, a good needle on that one. Yeah. And it needed to be said. Um, what was not unexpected... It was affirming, but also just disheartening. The feedback, um, reading the comments all over social media from just sheep. And the last three years, the people, so many Christians have felt so abandoned and even abused, and I don't use that word lightly, uh, of their pastors. Mm -hmm. And in this podcast... um, you know, they hear the pastors refer to those who care about human dignity and the requisite freedom of upholding that as apostates and idolaters. I think um, to be in a church where your pastor told you that you would abandon the faith because you wanted to uphold human rights and human dignity and the freedom that is necessary for that. I can't imagine what that would feel like. Yeah. Especially, I mean, there's there's different types of people in every church. Like, we all know the very bold... Um, confident people in our in our churches, and they're necessary. We love them, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also people who have a very meek spirit and yeah. aren't interested, or not not that they're not interested, but um, it would take a lot for them to confront somebody in leadership. Yeah, and so for them uh, who maybe have more of a natural deference to their leaders, mm-hmm. who maybe their leaders have been, have been great up till then have mm-hmm. never led them astray. And so they, they feel like, okay, well maybe, maybe it's me, mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong. And so there would be all sorts of inner turmoil for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people like that. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so that was, that was, I took no delight in reading those things, right? It was, <clears throat> it was, just, yeah. it's one of those things where it's just, it's sad that we're right. Like you and I and Ben and Ryland, we're not we're not happy to be pointing these things out. Who can be happy when there's sin amongst God's people? Yeah. Like who can be happy when the bride of Christ is acting like a whore? Like it's not something to be proud of, even if your your analysis is correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that it's a sad time for the church. I think the way that it went viral especially given our we're we're small small church small platform um really reinforces again to me that there's an elephant in the room and um that's something i've been thinking about the last couple of days that the world is attempting this reimagining of reality mm-hmm. attempting to move on from the injustices from the lies 
from the oppression. Um, and we see, you know, our prime minister saying things like he never forced anyone to get vaccinated, which yep. the mainstream media is pointing at as blatant lie. You can literally just see videos of him, uh, by all definitions, coercing people to get medical procedures. You hear Fauci saying that he never said that we should shut down the country when he literally said yeah. we should shut down the country. <clears throat> like the level of deceit and it's lies. It's so brazen too. It's I mean, so, you it, went in front of the nation and said one thing and now you're saying it. you didn't and you're not expecting anybody to call you on it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the purpose of propaganda, one of the purposes is to get people to doubt what they see in here. Right. 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 So it's like when you see something that's we've such always a, been at war with East Asia. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, I never heard. Okay, really? okay, I guess so. Like when you say I a lie we that's yeah. no. it's so bold. Yeah. Um, it confuses people. So I think the fact that that's happening in the church, this reimagining of reality, which is a symptom of hypocrisy, um, there really does need to be a reckoning. And I don't say that in a vindictive sense, but just in a sense of the gospel and the need for repentance. And the church in Canada just can't move on um, unless there's an acknowledgement of the sins that have been committed and yeah. the sins of omission. Right. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, God just doesn't let sin go unpunished. No. And... um you know, maybe he ultimately won't punish people until the day of judgment. But there are always temporal consequences to sin, always. Mm -hmm. And so a congregation filled with people who are unwilling to repent mm -hmm. is going to suffer mm -hmm. just by nature. There's mm -hmm. no way around that. Even though by many temporal standards they may appear to be prospering, mm -hmm. uh, that's just not, that's not what's actually happening there. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, another observation is, I think it was after we released this letter um, that I went to watch a documentary, um, Unacceptable. It was a documentary on the Freedom Convoy. Hmm. And it was a very encouraging, very, I mean, I cried at certain points. It was very um, overwhelming, both in a good sense and a bad sense. And um, who put that out? I forget the gentleman's name. I believe his name is Ben. Andrew Bartolo introduced us. Okay. And they had a showing at Galaxy, which was sold out. And when I went there, my wife made the observation that, you know, it's a lot of um, hurting people. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not the who's who of polite society. And... It made me think of Jesus' words that when he looked out over the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, it really drove home in me uh, a sadness and an anger over the contempt that the supposed shepherd showed towards these people mm. and the preferential treatment they gave to the powerful um, over the powerless. Yeah. And... A lot of these people were so thankful for the Freedom Convoy because it was people just saying, this is wrong, and and to advocate for their neighbor. And the Freedom Convoy was an amazing movement. It was a righteous movement in many respects. Um, but it's, it is an indictment on the church. 
that people who don't know the Lord had to lead this thing. Now, even in the documentary, I think someone said when restaurant owner in Ottawa, it's like 70% of the people were Christians. And that was my observation yeah. being in Ottawa, that the majority of people there, many of them were Christians. And there was scripture everywhere. There was preaching everywhere. There's hymn singing everywhere. There's prayer happening everywhere. I think that's why it was probably the most peaceful protest you could possibly imagine. Um, it was more peaceful yeah. than like your average music festival in a small town. Like, um, they had a bouncy castle. Come on. Yeah, but that it, it was <laughs> it was kind of what characterized it yeah. was the peace. But is it's an indictment on the church that the Christians were not the ones to speak, to lend their voice to the voiceless. And it took, you know, two years or whatever it was, year and a half for this to happen. And almost, and, and at the point of desperation, some solid citizens did something. But yeah, when I was sitting there, I just thought, these are the people I want to associate with. Um, I want to associate with people who are, on the fringes of society and and who uh, face the greatest consequences of these decisions and who are kind of like sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's encouraging um, and saddening, like you say. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a shame it had to be said. Yeah. But we're happy that it uh, got and is continuing to get a wide... Um, audience. Yeah. And one of my observations, I think, moving forward for Christians, my encouragement is don't be weary in doing good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there needs to be repentance and acknowledgement of sin and failure, disobedience and unfaithfulness. Idols need to be torn down. But I also think there's a temptation in guys who have been on the front lines of this fight perhaps to be weary from it, perhaps to feel as though now that our churches are open, there is no more fight, and to reduce the Lordship of Christ to an ecclesiastical thing. Uh, that would be wrong, and that would be the same kind of problem that we saw the compromised church do, um, to limit the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, our... Um, as Christians, as men, as fathers, as neighbors, we have duties, civic duties towards other people. We have a duty to speak against injustice and oppression, and that remains, even when we aren't at the receiving end of it to the same degree. Mm-hmm. And I would just hate to see us kind of take our foot off the gas simply because we are no longer the 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 object of the state's wrath in the same way, at least for the time being. Um, I think I'm, I'm hopeful that what this has done, one of the consequences of the last three years is it has, that God empowers his church um, to live faithfully in every sphere of life. And whether or not we ourselves are, you know, presently, in the heat of battle. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know exactly what that looks like moving forward and not everyone needs to be engaged to the same degree. I'm not saying every pastor needs to attend every rally that happens in your community. I'm not saying that, um, that we all of our role in this 
And as a pastor, I have a different role than I do as a father, than I do as a husband, than I do as a neighbor. Absolutely. Uh, but I just, I want us to make sure that we are seeking to advocate for the Lordship of Christ in every sphere of life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's another observation I had, just a reflection yeah. on this. Hmm. Well, it was a busy week on uh, Twitter as well. Yeah. I don't know if we want to go there now, but... Uh, oh, who doesn't want to go to Twitter? To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be the first to stick my hand up there. I do go to Twitter for the funny memes every now and then. But, you know what? Uh, I can see ones. that in you. I like a good meme. I like a good meme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there, is a, there is a conversation that is happening uh, in the Reformed evangelical world around issues surrounding um, the authority of Christ and the state. Mm-hmm. And the authority of his word and the state. And this has been um, escalated over the last three years when the state has claimed to possess an authority that scripture plainly says it does not. Uh, the rising authoritarianism and the totalitarianism that is evident in the West, mm-hmm. all over the West. Yeah. Um, the, church has, uh, the church has begun to question our understanding of the nature of the church and the state, yeah. scriptures and the state. And this is this is good and necessary. It is good. Um, yeah, I guess the debate is sort of taking, it's taking form under the banner of Christian nationalism. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. That was a, uh, that was a derogatory term coined by, you know, rabid leftists to describe anybody that voted for Trump or yeah. anybody that would seek to, um, basically, if, if, if you think morality and public policy should have any basis in scripture you are branded as some kind of you know theocratic fascist and that's kind of what made a lot of christians go okay i'll I'll run with that uh you know obviously not letting them define the terms of what that means but um so it's it's a little unfortunate that that's kind of the genesis of that mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. Christian nationalism. But I suppose uh, even the the name Christian came from uh, a term of derision as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I there's, don't know. there's there's several dynamics happening here. One, um, the unbeliever does not submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. No, and in fact, the unbeliever is committed almost by definition, to their own autonomy. That is, their own supposed right and ability to determine for themselves what is right. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to Genesis uh, 3 and the original sin. And this has been the proclivity of sinful man since the beginning. So, whenever you discuss the authority of Jesus Christ, or anyone, it could be your dad, you see this in the attack against fathers as well. Whenever you talk about any God-ordained authority, even in a biblical and true way, there will be a denigration on the part of people who hate authority. So, part of what we need to acknowledge is that any Christian form of authority, whether it be in the church or in the family or the state, will receive criticism from those who hate authority. So it's not necessarily that you're doing or saying anything wrong. It's that they just hate authority. And they hate good and righteous and true authority. Yeah. They hate authority that's not their authority. Yeah. 
So I wouldn't abandon the term Christian nationalism because unbelievers use it as a term of derision. Um, you know, I, 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 not on that basis alone. Right. Um, there might be wisdom in just saying, Do, can we think of another term? But acknowledge, look, you use another term and they're going to deride that too. Mm-hmm. So they attack the very thing that we're advocating for. And we just want to say, well, we just disagree with you. Yeah. We think that Jesus does have authority. The other, you know, kind of dynamic going on here um, is that Christian nationalism, even within the church, I would say there are a lot of Christians in the last three years have borne this out who themselves feel very uncomfortable with the totalizing claims of Christ. Yeah. And they often employ the same kind of tactics as unbelievers, namely straw men and caricatures. Yeah. So, or a relegation of that authority. Yeah, as to, a dis- to dismiss of you. Yeah. You can have that authority in your house. You right. can believe those things between your ears. But yes. Don't bring them outside. Yes. Basically. So, so the dominant, you know, one of the dominant religions in Canada and America is, is pietism. And it is a privatized faith. So it has a lot of Christian language and Christian truth, but it's privatized, which is, in a sense, to undermine and, and to change the whole message. Because who is Jesus Christ if not Lord? And Lord doesn't mean purely private Lord. He's your personal Lord. King of kings. King of kings. Yeah. And the ruler of the kings of earth. Mm-hmm. So... Um, this privatized religion, which many Americans and Canadians grew up with, feel very uncomfortable when you start talking about Jesus Christ's claims and authority outside of my own heart or my private religious community. Yeah, and and we've been pushing back on the heart of this podcast, but we're seeing that come up again in the Christian nationalism that there's. Um, there's a lot of discussion that needs to happen. Oh, for sure. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, we haven't even it agree- feels like we haven't, we haven't even started. agreed to a definition yet. No, no. So, <laughs> and what I think, I've, I think uh, and I sorry, I, I no, just listened ahead. to a good discussion from uh, James White and Doug Doug Wilson on this on the mere Christendom uh, thing. And one of the things that came out was that Christians have been successfully catechized into having this knee jerk reaction when we when you think about a Christian prime minister or a Christian leader, your brain immediately goes to Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. You know, like we have this knee-jerk reaction. Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, because we've been catechized by the left. Yes. And uh, and the point wasn't that, of course, those things can't happen because they have happened in the past. But um, I guess the point was don't let them define that for us. Yes. Because... You know, one of the points Doug Doug makes in that discussion was like, you know, Planned Parenthood kills more babies in an afternoon than the Spanish Inquisition did in 200 years. Yes. You know, they killed more, they, yeah. like 2,000 people over a couple hundred years. Yeah. Yeah, that's a slow afternoon for Planned Parenthood. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And the, it's the myth that we're the only ones advocating for authority. Yeah. Um, that's not true. And... We're we're seeing that in our world right now. There's a, there's a morality being thrust upon everyone. Um, so so even in the Christian realm, which we're seeing online, 
There's people who just, I would say their instincts have not been shaped by scripture in this regard. Mm -hmm. And they're beginning with a reactionary posture. And the problem is this leads to you dealing with your supposed opponents uh, based on caricatures and straw men of what they actually think. Yep. And this is a this is a problem. And my my main encouragement and admonition to my brothers um, who agree on a lot of the fundamentals, if not you know a, a ton of them beyond this, is let's be careful to actually listen to what people are saying. Uh, I was thinking about Acts fifteen. Um, and the Jerusalem Council. Mm -hmm. This is one of the the controversies in the early church. And how do we incorporate Gentiles into the church? And how do we um, relate to the Old Covenant? These types of things. And in Acts 15, I would encourage people to read this. Uh, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So what's the first thing that happened? Well, they got together. And the problem with having all of these discussions online is that we are removed from the appropriate context for, I would say, serious, controversial discussions, which Mm -hmm. is face-to-face. Yeah. And we have no excuse because it's easier than ever for us. Like, I even think getting on a Zoom call with 10 guys is better than than tweets out into the ether. And... um, because you're talking past one another. It's different when you have to talk to someone. And everybody has an audience that you're appealing to. Yes, exactly. So I think we need to um, take very serious... We are at a time in the church where very important matters are being discussed. Look, a lot of the doctrine of the church, if you look at our creeds and confessions, they were produced in the context of controversy. Like, they're not just living, people just didn't randomly think these things up. They are often responding to error. We think about the Nicene mm-hmm. Creed, if we think about even uh, Westminster, yeah. um, and when you think about the 1689 uh, as well, like these, they're responding to something. Mm-hmm. Then that's not wrong to respond, because that's the context that purifies the church. It helps you to think more clearly about the things that you assumed. It helps you to consider things you probably never considered. And that's good. But in those instances, and in Scripture, there's a pattern of brothers getting together. Now, getting together, though, requires a degree of character that social media doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I would say social media actually discourages. Social media, it's well known, encourages antisocial behavior. Like even by unbiblical standards, um, behavior that does not produce a unity, but rather a friction, an antithesis, an animosity, a distance between people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't say this, I mean, I'm a nobody, like what, I have no authority um, here beyond being a brother to these men is that if we're serious about having a serious conversation, and I think a lot of men feel this is very important, Mm -hmm. then we ought to actually respond accordingly. And that means getting together. And it is not, if these men traveled across the ancient world and what that would have, the dangers intrinsic to that, the cost intrinsic to that, the difficulties intrinsic to that, surely in today's age um, that we can 
scrounge up our pennies that we could say, look, over the ne- course of the next year, we are going to um, get together two or three times and we are going to have a colloquium and we are going to sit and discuss with each other uh, the matters um, because that's what they did in Acts 15. They considered the matter and it was actually after they had considered it that Peter stood up. This is my problem. One of my problems with the Twitter debates right now is the conversation is being framed in ways that are unhelpful. So you're kind of forced to interact based on a framing of the conversation that might not actually be biblical. Yeah. So, and then you're just always reacting against each other. But who says that these are all the relevant issues? Who says that this is the way that we should be framing things? Who says that these are the most important matters or the biblical paradigms? Part of the process of refining is actually listening and trying to come to some consensus about what are the relevant issues. But that's not happening. And when that doesn't happen, then you are necessarily forming a caricature. Mm -hmm. You are forming a straw man. I mean, I just read a couple of the articles in the recent Nine Marks journal that came out about the rise of Christian authoritarianism. And... It is, there are a lot of true things, and it totally misses the mark. Yeah. And um, I'm just thinking, this is this is not helpful. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm glad there was a lot of work put into it. It's, it's better than a Twitter war. But it's just, look, we are not, if this is the best shot that's been taken so far, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And we need to... Jonathan Lehman needs to sit down with Doug Wilson and have a sincere conversation uh, because he's just they're, they're, he's just missing it at this point. Yeah, and um, and you hope it's not intentional. Um, yeah, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, and I think the fruit of whether or not it's intentional is: Are you willing to actually sit down? Yeah, or are you do you want to keep framing the narrative? According to your terms. Yeah, a lot of people just want to control the yeah. terms of the discussion. Yes. Yeah, TGC Canada. Um, Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and mm-hmm. shame. And Proverbs 18.15, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and in the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Mm-hmm. Proverbs 18.17, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And this is why you need to have an actual conversation before you make conclusions, because you may think that the assumptions you're working from, the paradigms that you are working within, the biblical data that you use to support your case are the, are the final definitive thing until you listen to someone else. And then you realize, I missed that angle. Mm-hmm. And it could be, it could be an idea and a biblical category that changes Everything that you thought um, and cast it in a new light. Well, how do you know that without talking to people? And so I just, I would implore my brothers, like if we're serious about this, uh, then we're going to have to humble ourselves because that's what it takes, right? Yep. It takes, everyone can preach to the choir. Everyone can form up in their ranks really quickly. Whose side's on whose side uh, to develop a hostile relationship to other people. I mean, that doesn't honor the Lord. Yeah. Uh, if we need to get to that place, 
at the end when we've made our conclusions, fine. But we're so far from being able, like, what I read of those journal articles was like, you guys are so far from being qualified to land on these things. You're like not he, even at the starting like point Like, we're just yet. not even at the starting point. Um, now, there is a, a lot of good stuff in the Nine Marks Journal to build off of and to respond to. I would say that. But it's like, we need to hit pause on this, and we need to actually get together in good faith. So, I don't know. Obviously, I mean, I mean, we I can't call a church council. What I would like to see is the churches in Canada, maybe even just the churches in Ontario, why don't we get together? Why don't the, what, like 15, 20, however many pastors there are who are in large agreement over these things, why don't we get together? Uh, why don't we, you know, we've read what the other side thinks, you know, like why don't we commit to reading for the next year? Um, uh, set a required reading list that we all work through. And why don't we get together two or three times and each time someone could present something and then actually have critique on those things and, Mm -hmm. you know, what are some objections to this and actually take the time that it requires to do serious theological uh, refining conversation. It just doesn't come quick. And I think you're not going to, you have to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Um. So, I mean, we've lined up some people to come on the podcast, and I'm hopeful that maybe over the course of the next six months that we can host some of these conversations and, uh, you know, hopefully build some paradigms. Pastor Tim Stevens from Fairview Baptist in Calgary released a good, helpful article just a day ago just saying, look, First Timothy, Paul makes a case for the magistrate using the law um, as a standard, God's law is the standard of justice, and it's in accordance with the gospel. And he lays out how this is a category that Paul thinks in. It's consistent with what he writes elsewhere. That's great. He didn't lay out a full defense of, you know, political theology. Yeah. But he said something that was true from the Bible. Just and, a little piece to add. Yeah, and that's a big point that both sides need to reckon with. Yeah. And that has to be kind of the central starting place. I yeah. Think. So what does that look like when, yeah. we, when we try and work that out? Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is why I feel like we're talking past one another that it's still, I, I still am surprised to hear people object to the fact that scripture ought to be the highest authority in the country. Like, I, I don't know how there's an orthodox position. And I mean this in sincerity, who doesn't believe that God's word ought to govern the laws of the land. Because what's the alternative? Well, how many generations have we had now of this antinomian theology that separated God's law from the life of the believer? We were talking about this on the way over. Yeah. This, this law-grace false dichotomy that people talk about. Well, we're under grace. We don't have to think about law. It's like, yeah. no, you're not, you're not getting it. Um, yeah. There's always going to be a law. Yeah. And whose law is it going to be? Is yeah. it going to be yours or the or God's or the arbitrary law of man? Yeah. And so. there's there's good questions and even disagreement on um, what are the particular requirements of that law sure. and how do they apply? I mean, but there shouldn't be an argument over what is whether, the source yes, of, of the law. Yeah, the standard of righteousness is God. Yeah. 
and the standard of righteousness is revealed to us is his word. Mm-hmm. Is there an interpretive grid that we have to put that through? Absolutely. Um, but to say that God is not the standard of righteousness is to say that there's another standard of righteousness, and there just actually isn't. No. Uh, so, we need to articulate these things or have a debate about that, because if that point's in dispute, which it presently is, uh, there can be no moving forward. Yeah. Like, you can't flesh that out if you don't agree on the point. So, um, but to me, that does seem to be kind of underlying the elephant in the room. Yeah. Is there's a debate. Now, are there dangers and ditches uh, around the Christian nationalism conversation? Um Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's there Clearly, absolutely yeah. are. If you were on Twitter this week, you probably saw all sorts of nonsense. I mean, yeah. even seeing like this weird kinism stuff coming out of the woodwork, and it's like, where is this coming from? Like, yeah. Well, and that's a, the, yeah. again the problem with Twitter is that social media isn't a reflection of reality. No. But you can have people show up and pop up in your newsfeed who shape the conversation, who are like. In your life, you'd never meet them. Yeah. You would never run across them. You'd never hear their ideas. No one in your church thinks that. It's it's just not a real thing. But they have as much of a voice, so to speak, as anyone else. Yeah. Probably more because they're louder and yes. more bombastic. Right? And that's the danger of letting social media shape the conversation. It's yeah. just, just not good. But when you get into the idea of nationalism, I mean, the ism could be a problem. Um. Christians need to recover the fact that nations are a thing. I don't know the history of when this started to be a problem. If I look back, I know where we are now. The nationhood and national identity is often associated with uh, colonialism yeah. and um, the powerful over the powerless. Only white colonialism. Yes. Yeah. So there's been a kind of um, denigration of nations. Post-World War II, and you see with these international bodies, uh, you see kind of the the positive spin on on post-national entities. Oh, according to our Prime Minister, we're the first post-nation state. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so there's kind of a, a moralizing um, of being transnational. We've gone past we, that. We've gone now. past that. And to think of um, your nation in historically nationalist terms is actually primitive and backwards. A progressive view of culture moves beyond that. Yeah. And we want to say, on the one hand, um, sinners draw lines in the wrong places, and sinners are tribal in the wrong ways, mm-hmm. and sinners identify evil in the world, we tend to do it in other peoples, not in us. But in a Christian perspective, as Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil runs not in different classes of people, different groups, but in the every human heart. Once you acknowledge that fact, then you can't just say, um, we are better on the basis of being this nation, nationalism. So that's yeah. like Nazi theology, right? The superior race. You can't have ethnic or national superiority in one sense uh, because all are sinful. Now, do certain cultures have practices that are more 
uh, sinful and others that are more righteous? Of course. Like, who wants to say that Nazi Germany was as righteous as, you know, England in the time of World War II? Yeah. Like, are you saying there's no difference if someone's a rampant anti-Semite or versus there? No, we're not relativizing things. We're just saying you can't neatly divide the human race uh, in in terms of good and evil between different nation states. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But at the end of time, uh, Jesus Christ will be worshipped by every tribe and nation and tongue. That um, the Bible upholds the nation in the same way that it upholds the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. That's a God-ordained institution. It's a covenantal reality by which there are certain responsibilities and corresponding authority. And by actually upholding that reality in a biblical sense is how we glorify God. So we don't have to let go of the idea of moms and dads to care for our neighbor. No, no, we actually we actually bear a responsibility as mom and dad and as children. And, and when we do that, we actually are best situated to care for our neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. Or the lo- you see this in the local church. Like people try to denigrate the local church in order to emphasize the universal church. But that's not how you emphasize the universal yeah. church. You don't you don't emphasize the unity of all believers by downplaying the covenantal reality of specific people in a specific place at yeah, a specific yeah. time. It doesn't work that way. And you don't you don't highlight the unity of the human race by downplaying the reality of nations. Mm-hmm. That the Bible actually creates unity in the midst of diversity. So in the body, does each member have the same gift? No. But God apportioned it that way. Like, mm-hmm. he did that intentionally. Yep. So, that some people have this gift, and some people have that gift, and some people are elevated, and some people aren't. And it's in our diversity of gifting that we glorify God in our in, celebration of, yeah. in our appreciation of. And we all have the same head. That's what unites us, is yes. being united under Christ. Yes. And so, there's this push, this egalitarian push to flatten everything, to supposedly unify us. And you see this in the family, in the church, amongst genders, to get rid of all distinctions in order to unify. And they do this with nations. But we would want to say, no, um, the throne is not going to be one globalist utopia. It will be a diverse group of tribes and nations and tongues worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And... Um, that's going to be a beautiful thing. And yeah. it will be more beautiful for being a diversity of nations, not one. Yeah. So, what I think one side is trying to pick up on is that um, you can't escape the reality of nations, nor should we try. We should be faithful as nations. But what another side is doing is thinking that's dangerous. Like, now you're getting tribal. Now there's ethnic superiority tied into this. Yeah. And, well, and people are equating the sinful uh, outworking of yeah. these ideas with the, uh, the, true, out, with the yeah. true meaning of them, right? Yeah. Like you said, that humans can have the uh, – we can desire the, the right things and then taint that with our sin. Yeah, of course. And so people are, people are con- conflating those two things. Yeah, yeah. But so there needs to be a lot of conversation around nations. Uh, Dr. Joe Boot has written on this. Um, I believe in his Ruler of Kings book, he has a chapter. He gave a talk at one of the Ezra events in the last year. 
on nations, which was really good. Yeah. Um, and the biblical role of nations. But we do need to think about this. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it, and it's an interesting discussion. I would encourage people to not get bogged down in the internet. I think there's going to be some resources coming out soon. Hopefully that can help us. I think Doug's releasing a book shortly. Yeah. Uh, Mir Christendom, and I'm sure some of the other guys will start. So hopefully that can get yeah a good process going with that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and again, we're going to put out a reading list. I might actually get it up for when we release this, recommended readings for people. The church has thought about these things in the past, and there are men in the present who are thinking about it. Yeah. Um, Schaefer's A Christian Manifesto is really good. Yeah, that's a good one. And he's building on Samuel Rutherford's uh, Lex Rex, Rex. which played a a big role um, Mm. in later political thought, including uh, what, you know, formed the United States. Um, Glenn Sunshine, a lot of people are sleeping on this one, Slaying Leviathan. Oh, such a good book. I'm going back to it again. Read that book, man. It's kind of like if you want a flyover of how the church has thought about authority and thought about the distinction between the church and the state, this is the place to start. And specifically how the church thought through those issues in the Reformation. Yeah, but even even pre, I mean, he starts with Jesus and he goes all the way to present day. Yeah. So it's a good flyover that at least alerts you to important times and texts and topics. Yeah. Really good. Definitely. Yeah, Lex Rex, um, Slaying Leviathan. What was the other one? Um, it was released at the same in the same series as Lex Rex from Canon Press. Oh, the Vindicii. Yeah, Vindicii Contra Tyrannus. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a good one as well. Well, we want to wrap it up for now. I opened with uh, Revelation, and I'm going to close with Revelation as well. Chapter 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. We'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast.